Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. It had been a long day of driving back from my brother's wedding across the country. As miles and miles of forests passed me by, I regretted not taking a plane. I wanted to see the countryside, but I'd gotten my fill of Route 50 on the drive over. Now I just wanted to get home. Unfortunately, my home was another eight hours away, and sleep was creeping up on me. I pulled into a motel off the interstate, paid for my room, and threw myself on the bed without even taking my shoes off closed my eyes, and tried to sleep. Tap, crackle, scrape. The noise roused me from my half-conscious state. I looked up and saw someone at the window, the clear silhouette of a man staring at me, watching, tapping his hands on the glass. I let out a yell and tumbled over the side of the bed, heart racing as I reached for anything I could use as a weapon. The best I came up with was my sweaty dress shoes. Clutching one firmly in my hand, I popped my head over the edge of the bed and peered out the window. There was no one there. Just a bush. A stupid bush scraping against the window in the wind. This wasn't the first time sleep deprivation had made me see things that weren't there, but it felt so real this time. My cheeks burned red from embarrassment. Attacker or no attacker, I was now wide awake, body flushed with so much adrenaline that there was no hope of falling asleep. Since I wasn't going to get a lick of rest anyways, I figured I might as well get back on the road. I tiptoed out of the motel room, staring at the plant from the corner of my eyes. Under the cover of night, it looked sinister. The breeze made its way delicately like lovers dancing, but the gnarled branches and humanoid shape evoked a sense of dread in the pit of my stomach. I knew the silhouette was just a mix of vines and foliage, but it still felt like more, like it had a presence of its own. I sidestepped all the way to my car, not wanting to take my eyes off it for fear that it would chase after me. Even as I put the key in the ignition and pulled out of the parking lot, I still kept it in my line of sight. And as the motel shrunk in my rearview mirror, I could have sworn I saw the bush scurrying off into the woods. Route 50 was long. No exits or rest stops for miles at a time, leaving me with nothing to look at but stretches of wilderness. Trees guarded both sides of the road and extended their reach over it, as though trying to encapsulate the highway in their shadow. As the hours progressed and the adrenaline wore off, I found myself in desperate need of sleep. I pulled into the next motel I came across, but before I even got out of the car, I spotted something on the edge of the forest. Figures, shuddering in the moonlight, dozens of them. When I squinted to get a better look, all I found were more bushes. However, 
As soon as I looked away, they seemed to morph into moving shapes, drawing closer and closer to the motel. Had sleep deprivation made me paranoid? Try as I might, I couldn't shake the feeling that I was being watched by them. I stared at the lobby doors tiredly, weighing my options. I couldn't do it. I, I, I couldn't get out of the car. My hands refused to let go of the steering wheel, and my guts told me to just keep driving. I figured I'd find a coffee shop a few miles down the road, maybe a gas station with energy drinks. Either way, I'd get some caffeine in me so I could last a few more hours. There were no gas stations. No coffee shops. No rest stops. No exits. Nothing. For miles. I was exhausted, barely able to keep my eyes open. The radio was blaring loudly. I opened it, hoping it would keep me alert, but fatigue made the music sound muffled, distant, and distorted. It was just as distorted as my vision was becoming. My eyes couldn't focus anymore. They couldn't differentiate between objects and shadows. My mind was just as unfocused, switching from idle thoughts to reruns of conversations I'd had that weekend. I even caught myself answering a question I'd been asked days ago and mumbling incoherent things beneath my breath. The car swerved and hit the guardrail. My head snapped back up in shock. Shit. Sparks flew. I gripped the wheel tightly and pulled back onto the road. I'd fallen asleep at the wheel. I couldn't go on any longer. It was dangerous. I drove just far enough to find a place to pull over on the side of the road. I took the keys out of the ignition, reclined my seat, crossed my hands on my lap, and closed my eyes for a quick nap. I could hear light rain starting to fall, lulling me to sleep. Sweet, merciful sleep. I don't know how long I slept, but it felt like only minutes before I was woken up by noises outside my car. I looked out the window and saw figures surrounding the vehicle. Dozens of twig-like hands slamming against the window. Things outside were hidden in shadows, groaning and moaning like wounded animals. I could only make out their blurry, leafy outlines as they repeatedly assaulted my car. I couldn't tell where one started and the other one ended. In my sleep-deprived state, I couldn't think clearly. I shuddered in fear as the car shook violently from every shove. I was terrified they'd turn it over and that I'd get crushed in the process. Click. Click. They were trying to open the doors. Fear hit me like a lightning bolt and charged me with the surge of energy I needed to slam my hand against the lock button as quickly as I could. The doors were already locked, but at least I knew for sure. Whoomp! One of them jumped onto the hood of the car and crawled towards the windshield. I could see its mouth wide open in an O-shape as its ghastly howls escaped its lips. I turned the car on. The figures at the front cried and fled from the beams of my headlights. They shuffled to the sides and joined the others in trying to break through. I hit the gas pedal and pushed it all the way down. The wheels screeched in protest, spinning in the now muddy terrain, but as the car rolled forward sending the creatures on the hood flying over the edge. I heard a thud 
as it landed on the road behind me. The car roared down the highway at full speed. In the rearview mirror, I could see the figures running after me, arms stretched up as though cursing the heavens. But as a ray of sunlight broke through the horizon, all I could see were bushes on the side of the road. I drove nonstop for the rest of the way home, unsure if I'd seen what I'd seen. Had it all been a figment of my sleep-deprived mind? As I exited the car, I found all the proof I needed to confirm what had happened. There were scratches all over the doors, porcupine-like quills burrowed into my front bumper, and a mix of vicious black paste and wood splinters clinging to the door handles. There's one more thing I noticed. I can't tell for sure, but it seems like there are more bushes around the house than I remember. And since then, I've been hearing scratching at the window at night. I saw my mother for an hour and a half each day. Half an hour in the morning, when she'd wake me up at 5.30am to get ready for school, and then an hour at night, just long enough to make sure I ate dinner and did my homework. The rest of the time, she was working. She didn't talk about what she did much or where exactly she did it. I had a few clues, like when she'd come home smelling like grease and coffee from the diner around the corner, or when... I'd find wadded up receipts from the gas station just up the road in her pockets. Once, I even caught her coming out of one of the other rooms at the seedy downtown motel we called home, pushing one of those cleaning lady carts. I asked her what she was doing. That wasn't our room. An expression flickered across her face, a moment of panic mixed with mortification, but she caught hold of it quick and waved me off. What needs to be done, she said and told me to go on home. I didn't know what that meant, but I was only around seven, so I didn't think too much on it either. I try not to think on much, really, like we didn't have a real house with a yard, or why I didn't have a dad like my friends. I used to, when I first learned about those kinds of things, but I made mom cry, so I stopped. I hated to make mom cry. We didn't have much outside of our single room on the second floor of the motel. Enough clothes to get through a week, thanks to charity drives at the church, carefully maintained school supplies that Mom squirreled away, and any chance she had to get her hands on them, food. Mom didn't have a whole lot she could take pride in, but I was clean and cared for, and she was proud of that. I just wish she was around a bit more. She did too. She assured me, but it wasn't as simple as just whining it. How come? I asked her when she was tucking me in one night. Because there's things that need to be done, and no one else to do them for us, she said. She was smiling, but there wasn't much joy in it. I didn't get how something that was supposed to mean she was happy ended up looking so sad. When I told her I could help, she smoothed my hair back and kissed my forehead. Just having you here is all I need. I let myself believe her, and things went on as usual for a while. A few months later, the diner closed down. 
The owner had a heart attack and died, and his kids shut down the business while they waited for it to sell. It was too much trouble to keep it open in the meantime. I only knew about it because I overheard Mom talking on the phone with a friend while I was supposed to be asleep. There was a pause when she said she'd just have to find somewhere else to work. The diner had been her main source of income. I started seeing her even less after that. My hour and a half became an hour, and then shorter, still. She'd been in long enough to wake me up in the morning and put dinner on the table in the evening, but then it was out the door to who knows where. I wasn't even sure she was sleeping. Even still, she did her best to maintain my status quo. Clothes, school supplies, food. Clean and care for. I couldn't help but notice wherever she was going now, whatever she was doing, she couldn't stay the same for herself. It was the change in her face I saw first. Mom had always had what she called her winter layer. It kept her features and figure rounded out, sometimes a little too well. Now, her double chin had receded into a defined jawline. The rosy hue of her cheeks dimmed to a pale pink and then ash. Dark circles rimmed her eyes. When I mentioned it, she joked looking like a raccoon was all the rage. I asked where she went that night, but she kept it vague, stating she had to work. When I told her to stop, to rest, tears filled her eyes, and she took my face between her cool hands. It's my job to worry, not yours, okay? She stopped waking me up in the morning. She'd be gone by the time my new alarm, salvaged from a trash can, went off and I'd have to get myself ready to go out to meet the bus. Our dinners became a sacred 15 to 20 minutes where she'd watch me eat, usually some variant of a tough, gravy-covered meat and wilted vegetable in a to-go container, and I'd prattle on about my day before she'd run off again to whatever job she'd managed to line up. Each night, the spring in her step as she went back out the door dampened just a bit more, as if the ground beneath her feet was becoming a muddied pit intent on sucking her down. I bit my tongue to keep from commenting on it. Don't make Mom sad. Don't let her see you worry. It was worse when she came back. Her skin had taken on a waxy quality like a mask stretched too tight over her skull. The hair she'd always proclaimed was her best feature lost its glossy sheen. She left clumps in the drain, and her brush, bits of her scalp, peeked through the thinning strands. She smiled less, and even when she did, it was tight-lipped and strained. It didn't stop me from catching sight of her teeth, yellowed and fragile, missing in some places. Even as it seemed like I was watching her fall apart, she never stopped working. Stay home, Mama, I insisted. She'd come through the door, favoring one leg. She sucked in a sharp breath through clenched teeth when she put my to-go box of dinner in front of me and gripped the edge of the table. Beads of sweat dotted her forehead, but she shook her head. Why? I cried. It needs to be done, she said, kissing my head. Eat before it gets cold. The meat was flavorless and the veg mush, 
but I ate every bit while she watched me, her dark eyes burning with a feverish intensity. She was gone again as soon as the food was. I couldn't get the sight of her out of my head, gaunt and slowly curling over herself like the roly-poly bugs in the walkway outside of our door when I poked them. Wherever she was going, something bad was going to happen to her. I was determined to find out what it was. I followed her the next night, careful to keep my distance and stay close to the shadows like I'd seen in the movies. If she caught me, I knew she'd be angry. I wasn't supposed to be out after dark. Her gait was uneven and slow, making it easy to keep up with her. She was bundled in a long coat despite the warmth and kept it pulled tight around her. She came to a stand at an intersection and ducked into an alley, heart pounding with nervous excitement and breath caught behind a harshly bit lip. After a moment, I inched towards the building's edge and looked toward her again. She'd remained in place, perched on the edge of a curb with her hand turning back and forth, waiting for someone. A cab? I wondered. But it didn't have the usual markings of a taxi. It looked like a regular car. If that was the case, I would be in trouble. I hadn't expected her to take a car, a luxury we could never really afford, and I wasn't sure I even knew how to get back to the motel on my own. Panic gnawed at the edges of my excitement, eating it away. Did I give myself away, or hope I'd be able to find my way home if she left me? As I agonized over my limited options, a car crept down the street past my alley and came to idle right in front of my mom. The silhouette of the driver leaned across to the passenger seat. Mom tried to turn her limp into a saunter as she approached the open window and leaned forward. Words spoken too low for me to hear were exchanged. The driver started to reach for the passenger door and Mom stepped back to give it room to swing open. Her grip must have loosened on the coat because it parted and fell open. The driver yelped suddenly and jerked back. Mom grabbed at the car door, fingers curled like claws, and begged him to let her in, but he spat a curse word at her and his tires squealed. She beat against the top of the car, trying to run alongside it, while the driver yelled at her to get away, but as she stumbled and spilled onto the ground, the car screeched off into the night, leaving her sprawled out on the sidewalk. Mama! I screamed, all my fears of getting caught were swept away. I leapt from my hiding spot and raced to her side. I tried to turn her over, but she struggled against me, pulling away with what little strength she had. No, she said. Her voice shook with denial, shock, and something else I hadn't heard before. A snarl of raw desperation that sent me reeling back. But my surprise wore off quickly, and it only made me want to help her more. I grabbed at whatever was closest to me, the waist of her coat, and tugged. Get up, Mama! Before she could catch a hold of it, the coat slipped away. She wasn't wearing much underneath. A lacy bra and a pair of short jean cutoffs, but I hardly noticed her clothes. For a moment it looked like thick red ribbons had been tied across her stomach, but the way they glistened so wetly beneath the streetlight betrayed that illusion. The gouges that were pockmarked in her flesh were deep and uneven. Their edges were jagged, some tinged with gray that was starting to border on black. 
very faint odor, sickly sweet, drifted up from the open wounds. Mom's head hung low, her features partially obscured by a limp curtain of hair. I'm sorry, she wept. I let the jacket fall back into place and stumbled a few steps back, my stomach rolling. Mom pushed herself onto her knees and then struggled to her feet. Her jacket fell freely open, revealing the extent of her ruined body. More gashes were sliced into her legs. A particularly nasty one had been cut deeply into her calf. They were all roughly the same size. All roughly the same shape. Enough to fool a kid into thinking it was... some kind of steak. Enough to send a kid to bed with a full stomach. I'm sorry, she said again, fat tears rolling silently down her cheeks, the only unscarred part of her left. I did what needed to be done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The first time I saw it, it was sitting near my bathtub, encircled by a crown of melted wax. It caught my attention for no other reason than how out of place it was. My girlfriend preferred the large tub in her apartment, so I knew it wasn't hers, and I certainly hadn't bought it. As I approached, I noticed the smallest wisp of smoke slithering out from its wick. The dark vapor danced through the air currents in the room before dissipating into nothingness. For smoke to escape the candle, it must have been lit not long before I entered, yet I was certain I was alone and the wax was matte and solid looking. I reached toward the candle, unsure whether it would be warm or cold to the touch. There was neither. When I pulled my hand away, the candle suddenly ignited on its own. With a surprised yelp, I bounced back. A twilight veil was cast over the bathroom first thing I noticed was the smell. The stench of iron was so strong that my eyes welled up as though I were cutting onions. The next thing I became aware of was the woman in my bathtub. I nearly passed out in fright when my eyes caught the sight of a naked form bathing in red water. Her body was slouched back and her face pointed toward me wearing a vacant expression. Her skin was unnaturally pale, as though every single bit of blood had been drained from her body. The wavering light in front of her casted eerie shadows like those of a spooky storyteller around a campfire. I thought she was dead, but the candle's flame swayed from an unseen gust that could have only been her breath. A knot lodged itself firmly in my throat as I stared in shock at the woman. I wish I could tell you that I attempted to help her but I'd be lying if I did. No, I just stood there, as useful as a self-aware garden gnome. I couldn't even say what was going through my mind at the moment, 
My brain had gone numb. Out of nowhere, the motionless woman twisted her head up and shot me a look of pure loathing as though I were a cockroach. The flame jittered harder and then blew out. As soon as the candle faded, so too did the stranger in my tub, the blood, and the smell. I brought a hand to my forehead, mumbled something about coming down with the flu and exited the room. I wanted to bury my head into the sands of denial. The candle was gone by the time I returned to the washroom. A few weeks later, my boss asked if I could install a banner over the side of our building. It was Chad's job, but the guy wussed out when he heard it meant going on the roof. Typical Chad, I thought to myself as I headed to the elevators. They were out of order. Typical freaking elevators. Dragging with me a heavy toolbox and the large rolled-up ad, I climbed all 20 stories to the roof. I was unraveling the banner when I spotted the familiar red candle atop an electric panel. Relax. It's just a candle, I whispered to myself. It wasn't just a candle. It was the crimson candle. Before I could even reach it, a small flame burst into existence. Though the candle lit the immediate area, the world beyond its soft halo seemed to disappear into a dark abyss. I was afraid of what would happen if I stepped outside the light. It was as though I was completely isolated from the outside world. I couldn't even hear the sound of traffic on the street below. My heart skipped a beat when I noticed someone at the electrical panel. Judging by his orange vest and hard hat, he was a construction worker. He had his back turned to me, arms stretched into the tin box. Hey, bud, I called out as I walked towards him. My nose caught a strong whiff of barbecue. The smell made my stomach turn because I knew what I was about to see before I even reached the silent man. I didn't want to look. I wanted to run, but where would I go? If I walked out of the crimson light, who knew what would happen to me? With the stressed pace of a cat sidestepping a threat, I walked around to the other side of the panel. The man's face was black, his teeth were clenched, and his nose was curled upward in a snarl. The electrical current had frozen him in place and still seemed to be surging through him, preventing him from releasing his grip on the control panel. I wasn't sure whether he was dead or alive, but I had to do something. Touching him meant becoming part of the electrical circuit, so I had to find a way to knock him loose without making direct contact. That's when I remembered the hammer I bought. Luckily, half of it was bathing in candlelight. As I grabbed it, I made a startling discovery. The other half was missing, as though the edge had been chewed off by the darkness. Good thing I didn't run, I thought. I didn't have time to worry about it. I had a job to do. I ran to the construction worker and whacked his arms firmly with the wooden handle. Handle? I didn't have time to worry about it. I had a job to do. I ran to the construction worker and whacked his arms firmly with the wooden handle. His body fell back to the ground, but his pitch black hands stayed behind. I absolutely lost it. Screaming, I shifted my gaze between the man's stumps and his charred hands. He had to be dead. There was no way he could have survived being electrocuted like that. He had to be dead, but... He moved. The man stood up. My body froze. 
took a few steps, his severed arms outstretched toward me. He was coming for me. The candle's flame faded and the rest of the rooftop returned normal. The man and his hands were gone. The electrical panel was closed and padlocked. I was left frazzled but relieved. It wasn't until a few weeks later that I saw the candle again. This time I was waiting to pick up a friend at the train station. I was reading a book when I felt a chill run down my spine. I looked up and there it was, at the edge of the platform. The crimson candle seemed unaffected by the rumbling train speeding by. If not for the constant ticking of the station's large clock, I would have thought time itself had stopped. A flame emerged on the tip of the wick, plunging the rest of the world into darkness. Tap, 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 tap. The clock continued its rhythmic calls while I cautiously approached the candle. Tap, tap, tap. I felt my blood run cold. The sound was getting louder, yet I was moving farther away from the station, farther away from the clock. Ants crawled under my skin as I turned to face the clock. It was gone. Beyond the veil, most likely. Tap, tap, tap. I wasn't hearing the clock. Tap, tap, tap. This sound was a lot closer. It was coming from the tracks below. Tap, tap, tap. I had to see. I had to know. I braced myself, preparing for what horror I may find below, and stretched my head out to peer onto the tracks. The sight of it nearly made me lose my lunge. Blood drained from my head and pulled into my extremities, leaving me feeling dizzy. There at the foot of the platform was a severed torso, desperately slapping against the concrete walls of trying to climb it. It had no legs or head, just a chest and arms with blood gushing from its mangled wounds. I felt woozy and found myself staggering several feet to the right. The tapping sound suddenly stopped. I looked over the edge again and saw the torso slowly following me. It was trying to get to me. That's why it wanted me to get onto this platform. I snapped my head toward the candle, wishing with all my might that it would go out. Tap. 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 The torso, having arrived at its destination, was trying to climb up again. Tap. 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 I begged every god on the planet to make the candle go out. I would have blown it out myself, but I could barely get enough oxygen in my lungs to stay conscious. Tap. 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 Mercifully, an unknown force extinguished the flame. In an instant, the platform filled with busy commuters. A man rammed into me and cursed at me for being in his way. The candle was gone. A month later, I saw the candle at the grocery store. It was in an empty cart on the cereal aisle. There was barely anything left of it, just a tiny wick in a circle of wax about half an inch tall. This time I didn't want to stick around. I dropped everything and ran toward the ends of the aisle. Just as I was about to turn the corner to safety, I heard the ripple of a fire. I managed to stop inches from its boundary. It was too late to escape. I turned and saw a young woman slouched over the cart. 
I knew what to expect by now, but that didn't make it any less terrifying. If anything, it made it worse. I waited under the menacingly watchful eyes of serial mascots as the woman pulled herself straight and turned to face me. I could see a bullet hole in her head. She glared at me furiously, launched herself into my direction, and pushed me against the shelf with inhuman strength. I fell to the floor. Boxes of cereal came crashing down on both of us, yet my attacker seemed unfazed. She clawed at me while I screamed, squirmed, and thrashed around, trying to break free. While her long nails tore at my flesh, she brought one leg over me and sat on my chest to immobilize me. I thought I was going to die, like a helpless rabbit caught in the jaws of a ravenous beast. Just as I was about to lose all hope, I felt her weight lifting off of me. I dragged my bloodied form from out under the pile of cereal boxes and saw a group of shoppers giving me the stink eye. I don't know what I must have looked like to them. A drunk, maybe? Feeling my cheeks turn red with embarrassment, I sped out of the grocery store. That was the last time I saw the candle, and I'm confident I won't be seeing it again. I caught a glimpse of it as I was making my escape from the grocery store. It had melted to a semi-solid puddle of wax with no wicks in sight. Now, you may think that may come as a relief to me, right? You'd be wrong. You see, since that day, I've been getting deep scratches and bruises seemingly out of nowhere. It's not that those things are gone, no. It's that they can only be seen in the light of a crimson candle, and now... I have no way to defend myself.